Welcome back to Foster.Minnesota's Let's Talk, a podcast that brings you valuable resources for prospective and current adoptive and foster families, as well as professionals. My name is Chris, and I'm an education coordinator at Foster.Minnesota. And I'm Sunny, also an education coordinator here in BAM. So we are almost to the end of our Spring Summit presenter series. I hope everyone has found it as enjoyable as we have getting to know our presenters and spending more time with them. Chris, who do we have with us today? And Sunny, I agree, it has been so much fun to hear and for us to see a different side of our presenters. Today's guest is Karen Vitek, a clinical social worker at the Village Family Service Center in Moorhead, Minnesota. She received, received her master's in social work with an emphasis on traumatic grief and has gained experience working with all ages, ranging from childhood to end-of-life care. Karen's professional experiences have included developing and facilitating grief support groups, providing individual and family therapy, and working in both inpatient and outpatient oncology. Our listeners can meet Karen when she presents Thursday, April 27, 2023, from 1045 a.m. to 1215 p.m. Central Time. Welcome, Karen. How are you today? I am well. How are you? I am good. We have Sunny with us, too, and it's just really good to have you back with us from when you presented last fall. Yeah, I'm so um, excited to be here. I think it was yeah. such a powerful place to be able to connect with people virtually and learn from other people and yeah, explore some of the areas that I've learned from others in as well. Awesome. Yeah, it's great to have you back again. So let's just get things rolling and start with our questions. When did your clinical work start focusing on traumatic and unanticipated grief and bereavement experiences? Yeah, I think um, in terms of my clinical work, that was really influenced by early personal loss that I had experienced through a myriad of ways, but especially in traumatic and unanticipated grief and how that showed up personally in my life. And my clinical work started, I, I got into the field because of personal experiences, like many professionals do. And um, then it evolved from me going to school in Arizona in 2016. And then I moved back to the tundra and focused in <laughs> oncology um, for three years here. And while I was doing my clinical studies down in Arizona, I specifically worked facilitating grief and bereavement groups for children and families who had had loved ones who had died. And then it has evolved through the years. Now, at the past few years, I've been practicing in community mental health, specifically focusing on grief and traumatic death. So how did you know, I mean, was your work in Arizona then, how you knew that you'd become, like this would be your area of expertise? Mm, yeah, it solidified it. I had always had in my mind this idea of what psychology was. So I was one of those really rare creatures that went into my undergrad saying, I'm going to study psychology. And I did. Um, yeah, <laughs> I also tacked on Spanish too, which was unexpected, but such a great learning opportunity. So it was solidified in Arizona, certainly, because that was where I was really able to come outside of my own grief experience and sort of that peer role. I had done some, uh, you know, work of my own just in attending grief groups or individual therapy and then actually being able to be the, the 
professional sounds like <laughs> all knowing, but be the professional that's able to kind of guide people in their own grief experience and help them to feel a little less lonely. So it was solidified in Arizona. And then each professional step I took, whether that was working at Mayo Clinic in oncology or here in Fargo-Moorhead in community mental health, it solidified. This is, this is what I am meant to do. This is what fulfills me in this world. It's a tragic privilege. Yeah, I think that's, I just think that's fantastic because you, in a tragic way, but that you are able to draw from your personal experience Mm -hmm. to be able to help those because you have walked in their shoes Mm -hmm. and you understand. So kudos to you. Yeah, it's, um, um, I can't swear on here, but it's like one of the worst (laughs) life experiences that also, you know, people will say, oh, it's it's a club, right? The grief club. Um, It's this club that has the highest price to get in. And once you're in it, you're in it. You never wish you had to be in it, but it really is suffering sees suffering Um, and it's powerful. Wow. Um, Well, and I think it's pretty amazing that you're, you know, one of my questions was going to be if your focus has changed since you've started in your profession, but it sounds like you came in with it and just kind of dove deeper and maybe your focus hasn't really changed. No, interestingly, um, and I don't know if this is, yeah, I think this is fine to share. Interestingly, because of my own personal life experiences and family members that had suffered very deeply with depression and anxiety, I went to college and I thought I'm going to major in psychology and I'm going to study depression. And I, at that point in my grief, in living with my grief, I hadn't really looked at it. And it wasn't until I was at a party in college where another girl came up to me and said, I go to this grief group and I think you should come too. And I said, well, I'm about seven years out, right? And she said, doesn't matter. I think you should come. And that was the most life-changing experience for me because although chronologically it had been seven years since um, I had encountered my first uh, traumatic uh, grief experience in my own life, um, it, you know, it was the first time that I really looked at it. And so that changed my trajectory in college. Then I said, oh, okay, I could, yeah, this is probably... (laughs) the area that I'm supposed to be focusing on. Wow. Um, And I don't think there's a timestamp that you can put on grief and it's not a race or a limited, uh, yeah, journey. So, or an Olympics, there's like this really beautiful, she writes greeting cards. Her name's Janine Quo. And she says, grief is not the Olympics. So my loss can't be compared to somebody else's loss, can't be compared to somebody else's loss because loss is loss, Um, whether it's through death or divorce or adoption or foster. I mean, it's, there are so many layers. Yeah, that's a very great point. Um, So in what ways have you witnessed theories in grief evolve? Meaning like, how does this evolution impact your individuals or families, communities, and even professionals like Mm. yourself? Yeah, I think the messages that we have gotten about grief theory and what it really means to grieve and how do we support those who grieve and how do we understand what grief is, it's evolved so drastically 
you know, we look at these, these ancient rituals, these death rituals in ancient times. We look at it even in our society when there was the plague, right? And how people cared for their deceased or not, wasn't able to. And in about the 1920s, when Freud came to publish Morning Melancholia and how that started to conceptualize what does grief look like? Grief should be looked at and processed and closed. Um, and then into these grief work models where we have stages and we have tasks of grieving. What I find is it has evolved obviously into how complex and nuanced grief is, but many people that I work with, many people that I speak with will say, well, I'm not at acceptance yet. So I'm, I must not be grieving right or in the right way. And so I chose to present on grief theories because it sounds boring. It sounds nerdy. It sounds stuffy, but so much of how our culture shapes the narrative around what it means to grieve influences the individuals and families as we understand our own grief and we try and understand how other people are grieving or how they should quote unquote should be grieving um, and it makes a difference it, it can create a supportive environment for somebody who's already been through the most dire of circumstances that a human can experience and it can also jade us from people in society so yeah, I think theory right. is important. <laughs> right. And I think people having a better understanding of how we got to where we are today, too, is important, too. Right. Right. Because even Freud and his work, what's really interesting, he published this work, Morning and Melancholia, um, and about, I can't remember exactly, 10, 12 years later, his child died. And in his personal writings, his own views on what it means to grieve and continue to grieve for the rest of his life totally shifted. And that impacts us. It impacts us because we ingest that information from TV, from books, from humans, um, from culture. Yeah. So we have your topic that you're going to be presenting soon on yeah. um, to grief theory and beyond practical applications for coping and loving those who grieve. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about the topic and why you thought our community would benefit from this presentation? Yeah, I think people will benefit from it because when I work with humans, my practice right now is solely predominantly um, grief and traumatically bereaved individuals. So some people who have had traumatic and sudden death experiences, other people who have had loss in other realms, um, whether it's through divorce or adoption or whichever form it can take. Sometimes, no, I'm not going to say sometimes, there is so much unknown in grief and that is so scary. And I think C.S. Lewis said, I never knew grief felt so much like fear. And the fear is all, all consuming sometimes. And so when we can give a little bit of knowing from quote unquote experts to this is what you're experiencing and maybe here's why, and here's how you can conceptualize it. 
right? It actually makes a great amount of sense according to dual process theory when we are grieving in a very loss-oriented state. And it also makes sense how we can swing a pendulum over to this restoration, how do I live my life today state? And I'm constantly going between the two. And it doesn't mean you're broken because you're not following a set state, set of stages or tasks. It means you're grieving according to how people who have studied this, people who are far smarter than I am say, <laughs> this is okay, this is okay. And I think it helps people who love people who are grieving, support them, right? Because they'll say, oh, my friends are really worried about me. Well, why are they worried, right? What, what specifically are they worried about? And how can we normalize it through understanding through a grief theory and say, okay, it's not just denial, bargaining, anger, acceptance. I never thought about relation, relating fear and grief too. So that's a really good point because they are pretty similar when you think about it. Yeah, it's it, in that, in that quote, I love, and it means different things to everybody. Um, Is the treatment similar for both fear and grief? I think they're hard to extrapolate one from the other. Um, I, I think of grief as this umbrella and all of the pieces in it might have different feelings, sadness, yearning, anger, fear, joy, love, connection. It's all under this grief umbrella. And so it depends on, I suppose, where the fear is coming from. It depends on how it presents because that quote is so powerful. If I say it to one client, they might take, oh yeah, it's really scary to feel this wave of all the feelings and have no idea how to deal with it. And the other one might say, oh yeah, I constantly have a fear of who I'm going to lose next, right? So fear comes up in such different ways in our grief and it depends on I think how it presents that day in that moment. But part of it is learning, yeah, how do we how do we cope with that fear? How do we work with that fear? How do we know what we can know about the unknown? And there are certain and how do we cope with that which we can't know about the unknown? And I, I think there's just so much fear in the adopt or um well adoption too, but in foster care and adoption worlds. Yeah. Um, of what youth go through. Mm-hmm day in day out fear of losing more people the losing their home their school friends things like that mm. yeah yeah fear is a, an, a powerful emotion a survival-based emotion so it's going to trump almost every other emotion because it's trying to keep us safe physically psychologically emotionally spiritually um, but it can also keep us disconnected which i think as we're talking about in the foster care system, or we're talking about in the adoption system, or in in grief in many other realms, as it can appear, fear can be a disconnector. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. I don't know, the listeners can't see us shaking our heads, but we're all vigorously nodding our heads in agreement with you. <laughs> um, so um, your upcoming presentation is, will help us us, the audience, cope and carry our own individual losses. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, a heavy topic that really needs to be addressed. But what we're curious about too 
is what do you care and do? What do you do for yourself to help, you know, cope from hearing about these, so much pain that these bereaved individuals bring into your office? Yeah, that's an excellent, excellent question. Um, And it's one that I am constantly inviting into my world of how to hold these stories, um, these really, really sacred stories of people who are no longer with us and the people who love them. And I think one way that I cope, well, I know one way that I cope um, is by coming back to basics. We, we talk all about, I mean, I, I almost, I always hesitate with this word coping because it gets so overplayed, I think, but how to, how to carry it. And I do a few things. One is I talk a lot with my own mentors and I go to my own therapist, (laughs) honestly, for some things. And I think I read once is that every good therapist needs their own therapist. And I thought, well, that's that's great. (laughs) That is great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I use that. I use a lot of breath work and I use a lot of mantra work with myself. I sometimes as a human who has also suffered loss, um, I'm of no help to anybody else if I haven't dealt with my own pieces. That's not true. Probably some help, but maybe not the help that I need to be in my professional role. And so learning how to carry my own things, learning this skill of containment and how can I hold what's maybe coming up for me and come back and deal with it through journaling or meditation or going on a walk later or calling my best friend and venting. But really, I I practice a lot of self-care. I try and read, I try and listen to podcasts, and I try and balance it all by just breathing through and letting go and honoring. One of my mentors told me this, and I I remind myself of this almost every day. Um, And, you know, interns and people who are, who are, who I'm talking with and learning from and with, um, it's not my story to claim. So I think sometimes in this field, one of the things that therapists, that humans have a hard time interacting with other bereaved, bereft people is, I, I, you know, I can only imagine, and it's very scary to imagine this happening in our world. And um, we can sit with people in such a powerful way and honor, this is not my story. I am a steward of their story and I, it is my tragic honor to, to hear their story and to sit with them in it in some place that some people unfortunately won't allow their brains to go or can't in this moment or fear stops them from going. So why is it important for us to grieve? What a big question. I don't know. It is. I know it's, you know, I think some people are maybe afraid to, or yeah. Um, it's that fear part again, but you know, they think they're not strong and you know, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it's an appearance or something they have to withhold. And right. Yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons why people come to their grief at different times in their life. Like I mentioned earlier, it took me a long time to 
allow to meet it right it would find me the thing about grief is it's a little bit like that game of whack-a-mole you know you <laughs> knock it back and it pops out in another area all of a sudden I'm irritable towards somebody and I don't know why right and I knock that back and it comes out in this existential dread and I knock that back and it comes out through spiritual questioning and x y and z right and so grief will find us um what I work with myself and with clients on is can we sometimes build up our grief muscle enough by in finding spot spaces in once we've kind of created this neuroception of safety to intentionally meet it so that it doesn't knock us off our feet every time the wave comes. Good advice. I like the whack-a-mole. It's a good visual. <laughs> I'm big on metaphors. I use you a lot push of it down. It's popping out somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, it will find you. That is, it will find, it will find you. you. And um, I would rather help people to understand when it does. Here's how we cope, and here's how sometimes we can, you know, intentionally meet it so that you know. The, I use a lot of metaphors, but like we can file off the sharp edges of it. We can't ever, you know, get rid of it nor do we want to in some ways um, because for some people grief is love that's that's an interesting adage because it's not true especially as we like see in foster in adoption like it's not always love sometimes it's it's pain and sometimes it's strained relationships and sometimes it's met with a whole other onslaught of emotions about the person who is no longer with us in some capacity so um learning how to how to swim in that abyss <laughs> and how do we ensure that we're honoring grieving individuals as the expert of their own grief um like i have a few friends who've lost their husbands recently from terminal illness and you know they're still going through their own grieving process but they have people saying things like you need to get over your grief are you over it yet? Mm. Have you moved on? It's time to get on with your life. Like, I don't know if people just don't know what to say, but um, how do we ensure that we're honoring their mm. grief? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I would say being with is, you know, again, when it comes to grief work, sometimes it seems so powerful to imagine just going back to basics and being with and allowing I think many people would be surprised I I had an intern in with me recently and she said you didn't say a lot it was my first time with a client and I said no I didn't it wasn't what she needed she needed a space a space to say all these hard things and to be with all of these hard things because it, I think it's human nature, right? And when I have my friend cap on, I find myself sometimes having to bite my tongue because I find myself as a friend wanting to alleviate some of the pain, wanting to, you know, and, and sometimes in grief, there's nothing we can say or do that would alleviate the initial wound. We can't bring their loved one back. And so the most powerful thing we can do is defer to them, ask them what they need, and they might not know in that moment. And so sometimes I'll give choice, like two tangible choices, right? 
do you need me to advice give right now or just sit with you and, and listen? And there's no judgment. There's no right or wrong answer. What do you need in this moment? Because grief takes so much from us. It takes so much of our autonomy. And if we can give any semblance of control or choice back to somebody who's grieving, what a powerful thing. And there's a, I mean, right, I I use the language a lot in my work of like, I invite you to consider um, because you can always decline an invitation. You, know, you might not have the energy to consider this today and that's fine. You can say, no, thanks, Kieran. Like that's not helpful in this moment. The other thing I'll say when it comes to um, grief as it relates to death loss is obviously asking the bereft individual and taking into consideration cultural observances because this can look very different even on a familial basis but collectivist cultures um i always invite clients and friends to share pictures um to share videos to just remember them and i'll i'll send texts and just say i, I remember this little thing about so and so and i'm thinking of them or sending a picture, you know, of Hulk smash, because it was little boy's favorite character, right? I'm thinking of them. And I think sometimes as a culture, again, that fear can get in our way because, oh, I don't want to upset them or cause them more pain. For most people, for many people, the painful idea, one of the more painful ideas is the idea that they won't be remembered. So I, I always invite first checking in with them. You know, how do you feel about this? Um, I wanted to do this, but I want to check with you first. Um, and, and being with, just allowing them to be where they're at. Oh, <laughs> okay. So... I needed tissue. Okay, so I know. <laughs> um, I also don't hand people tissues. That's <laughs> I learned in my training. And okay, again, highly dependent on the individual. I have some clients who are like, pass me a tissue. And then in my training, they say, they said, right, never pass somebody a tissue because the implication is stop crying. It's not okay here. And so I am, I am circumspect with that as well. <laughs> like, <laughs> did I pass them a tissue or not? I generally will ask them or I will generally, when they're getting the lay of my office, note where they are. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's but that's a really good point. The strategic <laughs> Kleenex box. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> so many things okay. to think about. There mm -hmm. are, there are. And so I always err on the side of, being really, and Chris, we've talked about this too after past presentations, being really circumspect with language, which I'm not always good at. <laughs> That's one thing that I'm constantly working on. I like kind of just like free form it sometimes. And um, especially with people in um, early acute grief, being really circumspect with language, uh, being really just gentle in how we say things nuanced in how we say things um and and checking with them hey I don't know how that landed with you I just want to check in 
I find that to be really humbling and hard for us to do as humans. But I, I have to do that with my friends sometimes too, because I'm like, I do you want me to be have my therapist hat on or my friend hat? And what what do you need from that? That's really good. Um, so as we're closing up here, do you have any like a one tidbit of advice that you'd like to to that you'd like to share with us? I know you've offered so many good <laughs> tips, like so many, but like, what's the one? Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, hmm. my, one of my mentors, um, she runs a care farm in Sedona, uh, where she rescues animals and then bereaved families come and stay and help care for the animals. Um, and she always says this, she says like, lead with love and not fear. And I think when we're looking at our grief, when we're looking at supporting people who are grieving, that's a mantra that rings true always, is when we lead with love and not fear, we might not always say the right thing, we might not always do the right thing, but people know when we're leading with love. And you can repair if you don't say the right thing. Hey, I, you know, I really stuck my foot in my mouth there. I. I am so sorry. And they feel the love. And it's it's a powerful unifier in grief. That is word that's the words to live by right there. It is. It is and it seems like it should be like posted on everybody's wall, but to really like <laughs> sit with that and let it sink deep um is powerful for our behaviors and our feelings and the way that we interact. Well, I have one last deep question and we've started asking this with our, our spring summit presenters. Um, I think we're about 50, 50 on this answer. Maybe Sonny, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. And it might be too controversial for you to answer. So if you just want to pass, that's totally fine. But she looks scared. Lead with well, love we... here. Not here. <laughs> we Two respect things are too controversial for me. <laughs> Well, I good. tend to be controversial. <laughs> you'll you'll nail this one then. <laughs> pizza or tacos? You can't have taco pizza. Does it have to be either or? Well, we did have we did have that as an an answer for one person. I think it was okay. Anna. <laughs> I feel like that fits. Okay, here's the thing. I can make anything into a grief metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Like my clients will tell you like, and sometimes they don't land. Sometimes they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't really know. Um, but I was just talking with a client about this today, which is so many times our brains want to go either or, either it's this or that. And grief teaches us, life teaches us that so many times it can be both and. And that is sometimes how we get through it. I can be both a lover of pizza and tacos. I love both though, but I am also lactose intolerant. So it's not great. It's not a great combo. <laughs> um. Well, those are, that's, those are words to think about. Yeah, that, was, <laughs> that was good. That was a good question. <laughs> that's a <laughs> great answer. Wow. It is. <laughs> and you know, I think you can have a taco pizza. I'm not sure if you can have pizza tacos. That's a good point. No, maybe, uh, maybe we just found our answer and we're done. Yeah. <laughs> Drop the mic. We'll end it on a really deep note. 
Well, thank you so much, Karen. It's, it's such an emotional topic to discuss, but it's so important for everyone is grief will be part of our lives at some point. Right. If we haven't experienced it in some form already. So right. we right. really are looking forward to having you back for a webinar or your thank webinar in April for our spring summit. Yes. Thank you. If you're interested in participating in Kieran's live webinar, please go to our website at famadoptmn.org. Click the education tab and under adopt ed workshops, register for to grief theory and beyond. Our spring summit is free to all. The date and time again of Kieran's webinar is April 27th from 10.45 a.m. to 12.15 p.m. Central Time. If you can't attend live, check it out in our webinar library. Thank you so much for joining us today for Let's Talk. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to our podcast and tune in again soon.